Well, here we are at the end of the book of James. I'll just say this now. The book of James ends in a weird thud. There is not a gracious ending. Oh, I knew that was going to happen. Thank you. Um, most of these books, there is a, you know, parting words and a send my greetings to you and all this stuff. There's not in James. And this is a little bit of part of the reasons why not everyone's 100% convinced James is totally legit. Now, I am, but like Martin Luther wasn't, for example. He didn't win the day on that one. Um, and he didn't even put up a letter on a church door complaining about it. So this is an ancient letter from the half-brother of Jesus, which is amazing. And what we've been thinking about and talking about is, does it matter? You just think about it. We've, we're still talking about this 2,000 years old, approximately. Is it relevant to 2022 in Columbia, Maryland, and the regions around it? And, you know, it sure seems like it is. We have had many... Oh, hey, Aldrich's. Welcome back. Can't wait to hear, watch your film, you know, your slides. Uh, think about the situation that James is addressing and just, list, just think if you can make it work in 2022. There are people in James's day that say they love Jesus. They walk around talking like they do. They, they go to church all the time. But their actions prove otherwise. I know this is hard to believe. You've got to put yourself way back into the ancient world to get onto that, right? Um, and, and so in James's day, at least, there were critics who were saying, you know, you Christian people that follow Jesus, you're actually hypocritical. You're judgmental. You're greedy, mean, and hateful. Sound familiar, right? And, and maybe you probably have thought, felt, said, or acted on the very same observation. And, and we sort of call that, or I call that, church hurt. Churches can hurt. Um, when you gather a bunch of Christians together, it's not a lovely time for everyone, <laughs> turns out. And, and this very observation is why so many people, so many people, more and more and more people are done. Out. Like if we could get some sort of match between what we say and, and what we do, that might help make it seem more attractive. Now, the, the, the flip side is a lot of people don't realize that we know we're sinners, Right? Now, we're not trying to be the worst sinners possible, but we're never going to make it to where, like, oh, yeah, guess what? You can come being around, like, perfectly adjusted people. A part of the whole deal, which not outsiders don't understand, is we know we're messed up. At least we're supposed to. <clears throat> and so, so wisdom in James is saying, does faith work? Does it come out into the world and affect things? Or is faith dead? Real faith is not necessarily awesome or fantastic all the time or just constantly amazing. 
Real faith is humble because it's given to us by God. We're no great shakes. It's a gift to us because God is great, not us. I've heard that many, many times. So I just got two points for you this morning. Two points only. <clears throat> the first one is doing the do. It could be just do it, but that seems too easy. I grew up in Missouri, and what is Missouri? The show me state. That's right. So, like, I don't want to hear you talk about it. Show me. Let's see it. Talk is great. Done talking. What does it look like? There's a wonderful Bible study from uh, Paul Miller. It's called The Life of Jesus. And over and over and over, as you go through this study, it, it makes the, continues to make the point. Jesus saw, cared, and then helped. Those three things, as he interacted with people, as he interacted with the world, it continues to see the thing, care about it, and then move toward it in love. Now, do you know people like that? I have a friend, Valerie, and she was involved in the public schools and just like everywhere, um, you know, in the, a lot of Christian schools in America got started in the 50s and 60s. Uh, well, you know, we have white flight, but we also have Christian flight. And, and I'm, my kids were, did homeschool, Christian school, and public school. I helped start a Christian school, which is an awesome one. But a lot of Christian people wanted to get out of the public school, so they started it. And what happened is that left public schools a lot different. The, the mixing was totally not mixed. And I think that hurt the public school, and I also think that hurt the Christian schools. There, there was a consequence for that. And she was involved in the public school, and she's like, these kids are not hearing about Jesus. So she started these, you know, backyard Bible club type things, and she called it Novo Ministries. It's amazing how many kids were discipled because of Valerie. My friend Kim sort of realized, you know, it, it wasn't that hard, except you've got to see, you've got to be able to see it, that there were all these refugees being dumped into the city. And, and they, the way it happens is, you know, it takes a long time to even get that far, like 10 years often. And then you get put in the city with like meager assistance. You don't know a soul. And here's like a thousand bucks for like six months. Figure it out. And so she started this ministry called Sparrow Project to help immigrants and, and, and outsiders to place new people with established people. Even just sometimes it took as much as bringing groceries once a week and having that level of interaction was more than they had. You know, they couldn't figure out the system, the school system, doctor system, so she started that. My friend Ben, his heart was just broken when he saw he cared so much about the orphans and the foster care and how lousy it was. These kids were placed in these homes and left there there were foster parents who, who were fostering kids as their income. 
And so he started the 111 Project. One church, one family, one person. I'll take any of them. He saw, cared, he helped. Now, we don't have to start new organizations and nonprofits. That's not what I'm trying to say. Um, I have a friend who, another friend came to him and said, you know what? I can't get dates. Can you help me figure out what I'm doing wrong? That takes a lot of humility, doesn't it? And he saw, and he cared, and he helped his friend. I have two, two friends, and they cared about community, small and big, and so they started Five Friend Friday. They would invite two other, three other people, and they would get together for dinner, and then they would donate what they would have paid to go out to eat to one of the causes they agree on while, you know, a hundred bucks, it wasn't. But it was awesome. And sometimes it's taking an action step, like downloading a blocker for your phone or your computer, forgiving someone that you had never done, or, or asking for help like you haven't done. James, as we look at his book, the things that he's saying, show me, are care for orphans and widows, give so you don't have a ruined heart, be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become anger. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Know the word and wisely live it out. Honor the poor, own our sin and confess to God and each other. Tame our tongues, stop quarreling and fighting, resist the devil Draw near to God. See, seek a cleansed heart and cleansed hands. Give God our plans. Be patient. Wait. Be steadfast. Stop grumbling. It's a lot. In our passage here in, in James 5, he, we read that we are to pray, confess, and pursue the lost. We're to pray when, when we're cheerful, so when in good times. We're to be thankful and, and, and speak to God about what's going well in our lives because He's good and kind and loving and generous and He gives the, us these gifts. And we can't forget where we got them. But He also calls, tells us to pray when suffering, when we're weak and wounded, sick and sore. It says here, is any oh, so here we go. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So if you're sick, call the elders and get anointed. Now this is hard to imagine a little bit, but what happens is when, when elders become ordained, they get a box and it gets sent to them. And there's this box, it's a big like, this color, and then if you get sick, you call him, and he brings the box, and it takes a while to fill that thing with oil, and you get dunked into it all the way up to your neck. It's quite a process. No, that's not what happens. Come on, right? That would be ridiculous. But you can't picture it because you've never seen it done. I, I bet you you haven't seen it. So here's the oil. This is special oil from Jerusalem, oppressed by grapes, trod 
that Jesus on the Mount of Olives, right? And somehow it says Beauty 360 Vitamin E Moisturizing Oil. It's, it's not holy oil. It's not special oil. It doesn't smell like anything. This, this will probably annoy 10,000 people. It's a lot. This is a lot of oil. I was, I was trying to tell him, like, get this little vial. And he got the littlest one he saw. And so this is what it would look like. You would call an elder, and he would come, and he would anoint your head, maybe with a cross. He's not going to, like, rub it on your back, pour it on your head, and pray for you. It's not magic. It's also not medicine. James knew that. It's also mysterious. I don't know what happens. I tend to think oil is uh, symbolic because kings and queens were anointed with oil. It's a special moment, right? And so there's something uh, tactile about it. So often our prayers are in our heads. This is something that you've got to do or get done to you. That's unusual. But I also really think that the thing that's really happening is you called to ask. You called someone who was put over you saying he cares for you and you took an action step and that person came to you. It doesn't have to be your house necessarily. It might be. It doesn't have to be your hospital bed. It might be. It could be to your car, right? It could be anywhere. It could be after church. It's asking and touching in the normal things, the important things, the impossible things, and I don't know what sick means, like how sick you got to be. I don't think it has to be physical. You could be sick of a sad heart. You could be depressed. You could be anxious. You could be worried, and it, it, it makes weird sense, right? Because like, what is this going to do? I don't know. There's something about it, though. We're actually commanded to do it. This is probably one of the least obeyed commands in the Bible. And if we would have done all that, maybe COVID would have gone completely away, right? That would have been awesome. Elders, take care of COVID. But it says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. That seems like a weird word to me. It doesn't say heal. And the Lord will raise him up. I don't know. I don't know what that means. Like I said, it's a mystery. These are odd words to put on this odd little practice. But then what does it say? And if he committed sins, which yes, he did. It may not be one-to-one correlation of this is why you're sick because you did this. It may be. He will be forgiven. Amen. We can be forgiven, saved, raised up. Let's sign us up for that, right? We don't know how prayer works anyway. This might be pointing that out. (laughs) Then let's look at this. 
so we'll get to confession, but the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. In my opinion, this is one little tiny super weird part of the Bible. When, when I go sailing, I always, at the end of the trip, give people their boat nickname. And I would call him CC, Climate Changer. He's the one, he's ruining the rain. He's three and a half years. Like, whoa. dude, make it rain. That's a good one. I don't understand how prayer works. I do know this. Prayer changes me. A big part of prayer is I'm in conversation with God about what I want, and I'm supposed to be at least asking Him what He wants. And and when I see the thing happen that I want, or I don't see it, because remember, there's yes, no, maybe, and I'm not telling you. Those are the four answers to prayer. And when I'm in, I'm like interacting with, it's a conversation partner. And I may think to myself later, it's like, you know what? Turns out, I'm glad he said no. Imagine if you have a, a person you say is a really, really great friend. We are, we are on super great terms. Well, when's the last time you talked to him and called him? Or, oh, it's been years. Well, do you know what's going on with him? Oh, I think he's doing great. I don't know. We're super close. That's not super close. Years of not talking is not super close. Maybe you were super close. So we bring to God our relational life, our thinking, our feeling, our wanting, our confessing, and He is saying neediness is good. And what do we say? Stop being so needy. Take care of yourself. Get out of my hair. Our relationship is different. But still... God wants us to bring all of life, not just when everything's happy and clappy and pretending all is well. All must be well, but it's not well yet. And we bring it to Him when we are sad and needy. And then in the middle of that, He talks about confessing your sins. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And if He has committed sins, He will be forgiven. James is asking us to do another thing, to, to examine our lives, to, to see our sin, to speak of it, of our weaknesses, our proclivities, to not live an unexamined life where we're pretending we don't sin, or we're hiding it, or we're certainly not speaking of it, because there is a power in confession and repentance. It's sort of the fabric of our lives in some ways. And he says we'll be forgiven. So that means often on our lips should be, I'm sorry. I messed up. I did the wrong thing. I need help. And what I've been trying to press is that's not the people out there. people in here. It's our problem. 
our hate, our hoarding, our spiritual adultery, our forgetting God, our anger, our bitterness, our evilness, our prodigal lives wandering away, our prejudices. And, and God keeps telling us over and over, right? And this is hard to do. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the people in the room. Be humble. Be a truth teller. Admit our faults first. The last thing we get called to do in this passage and in the book, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James is reminding us we are an outward-facing people, that we have a message to share. The rooster crows so people can hear. Our lives are shown so that God can be glorified. Are we going after others? Are we doing that? Who, who are we praying for to come to faith? Who are we pursuing? And what's incredible about this whole part is didn't I just talk about how lousy we are? And that's true. And also, there is something called predestination and God's sovereignty. So we have this weird mismatch. Like, he can do whatever he wants, and we aren't awesome. Why is he using us? Isn't there a better plan? But God brings about his will through secondary causes. And so he does use us. As we enter into and walk with people, that actually matters. What we say and do actually matters. When we see and care and help, that actually matters to broken people in a broken world wandering far away who don't know Jesus. And we rejoice when we see people come to faith. So all of this means Valerie's ministry matters, Kim's ministry matters, Ben's ministry matters, and so does Balm and Helping Up Mission and, and RUF and MTW, and so do you and your family and your workplace and your neighborhood with your friends and the session when you love people, when you ask for forgiveness, when you give forgiveness, when you turn away from evil, when you confess, when you resist the devil, your faith is working. And so we can just look around the neighborhood, city, workplace, and, and somewhat think about it, and then what are we going to do? What are we not going to do? Are we going to be friendly and kind or No. Are we going to pray? No. Are we going to confess? Or no. Are we going to take risks? Or no. And the neat thing is we do that together. We celebrate some victories together. We mourn some losses together. We're not surprised by sin, but we hope for more, for Jesus to come, to heal and forgive. So, uh, so point one is like, do... Point two is consider it done. We got a lot to do. Consider it done. I have a friend, and um, 
his name's Jason, and that's one of his responses when you ask him. He's like, consider it done. It's like, when he says, like, dude, I do consider it done. Because I know you follow through on what you say. And so here we have a book that can be frustrating. James can be really exhausting. It can seem like it's a book for Pharisees, rule followers, law followers, like me, (laughs) right? We all follow some law, some rule. So what I want on this point, I'm not undoing the whole first point, but I do want you to, because word and deed go together, what we say and what we do. So, so this one I want to say, think about it. You've got to think. Consider. Mull over. Meditate on. You know, the word meditate is really uh, chew your cud. It, it, you just sort of put it in your mouth and let it in there, and it just takes a long time as you get it all around your teeth and mash it up. It's not a big gulp all at once. Meditated slow cooking. And, and James, in this very book, gives us words and metaphors and, and references and teachings. He talks about Elijah and Job and farmers and, and fries. <laughs> fries, no fires. Can he talk about fries? I don't think, I don't think he would. Um, so we've got to think about those things. We've got to know about those things. So, so for us, it's like we need to ask ourselves, why am I the way I am? Why do I think the things I think? Why do I do the things I do? And, it, and instead, what we often do is we just react, 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 react. And if you're not a Christian, okay, fair enough. When's the last time you considered the claims of Christ? Because it's not only watching people's sinful actions, which we'll readily admit. There are truth claims. There is historical evidence. Non-Christians have a problem of evil, too. How do you know what's evil? How did that even concept come up? If you go out and sit in the woods for a week, you know one thing that you sort of realize, maybe if you're thinking about it, is there's a lot of death in the woods. Things get eaten all the time. Nobody blinks an eye. And somehow, we get up the, the food chain, and, and we think that we're evolutionary beings, and now death matters. Explain that to me. Like, Don't just say, well, we all know it does. Where does the concept of evil come from? What happens to societies that don't really have that concept? What are they like? For, for those of us who do have faith in Jesus, do we think about our hymns? Do we think about our prayers? Or are we really involved in the tyranny of the urgent? I only think about what's before me right now. And one of the things that we think about is we sort of make an assessment. How am I doing on all this stuff? And really the two big strains are one is I am killing it, James. Thank you for pointing out all the things I'm doing so awesome at. 
I'm a wonderful tither. I'm a super faithful attender. I've earned all this favor. God, we are on the team, man. You, I know you're glad to have me on the team. Or you do think about it and you're like, oh, hmm. I shouldn't be on this team. I'm not the fourth string. I'm like hundredth string. As, as I assess all that, I'm too sinful, too messed up, too unlovable, too unworthy, too big of a failure. This is not going to work. And so over and over and over, the good news of James and of the gospel is neither one of those are true. You are not too good to need forgiveness in the gospel. And you are not too bad that you can't get it. Because James himself points out that God is merciful and compassionate. Amen. He forgives sinners. That means there has to be sinners. He delights to call us friends. Now, how many of you are the eldest child in your family? Okay. So now everyone else is not the eldest child. Raise raise your hand if you're not the eldest child. Okay, so so here we go. Non-eldest children. Your oldest sibling, you, I, I, mean, this is, I don't even really have to say it out loud, but wants you to think he or she is a god. <laughs> I mean, basically, maybe low levels, right? But like the superhero of the family, the, the boss, like if, if, if mom and dad were here, I totally got this. You should respect not only them, but also me. Now, I'm an oldest child, so I don't like to think that I would do that. But probably my sister would say, yeah, exactly. So we have this conflict because needless to say, she doesn't want to do that. And needless to say, I'm like, I was first. The first among many. Okay, now just think about if you are the younger half-brother of Jesus Christ, the real one. (laughs) I personally think that would be super annoying, to say the least. You know, like, uh, you want to have a fight. I I just, just, it'll be amazing to see and talk to Jesus. He's like, what were you like when you were 18? You know, did you guys fight? Like, how do you fight the Son of God. I, I don't know. Who, who knows your thoughts? Like, don't, don't do that. Don't hit me. Ten minutes in the future, right? It's amazing. And so here, here we have. And from all, all we know is James didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God. No, he didn't buy it. Just like you don't. And then at some point, how crazy is it? My brother was the son of God. He really was. 
the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Alpha and Omega. And, and he, he did see and come and help, right? Came all the way, did all that stuff. And James knew that he died on a cross. Unjustly, I'm sure James knew that was unjust. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, James believed that was true. And it changed his life. And he thought to himself, you know, I haven't loved my enemies. He did. I haven't loved those who persecuted me. He did. I didn't give up my whole life to follow the will of God. He did. So Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. He takes all that stuff we were talking about, all of our wrong, our impatience, our hatred, our haughtiness, our greediness, our hoarding, our forgetting, our grumbling, because he came for sinners like you and me to give him his life, take ours. So our hope is built on nothing less than that's what is true. Now let's just remember, we got to think about, is that the way I, I roll? So coming up to the end here, does that move you at all? You know, are we in our heads so like, yep, uh-huh, got it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There is some sort of response, an emotional response or a convinced response a reconvinced response, or are we just like shut off? I've got this little uh, pub place, and it has music every day. I think I mentioned this. Like I've been going to live music whenever I'm in town, and and there are obviously some nights it's crazy impact, and some like there's no one there, which is sort of cool. And there's this little couple. They're probably, um, I think maybe 70, but maybe 65. And the, the husband comes in on uh, the, you know, the walker canes that are, they're individual and they have the cuffs around them and he has to get up the stairs and his wife helps him. And this wife is like a jitterbug. And the, she really almost only comes in when no one's there, which is why it's cool when I'm there because I get to see her come in. And she dances around the whole dance floor. Like it's her own little place. And it's, you know, maybe about the, this big, and she's dancing and dancing and dancing and dancing, and, and just, they don't get a drink. It's almost like they're just walking by, and they hear the music. She's like, she has this impulse of like, ah. And she, I mean, it's like, it's not like break dancing, but it's like dancing by herself because her husband, he, he's got to love to watch her dance. And I would think they used to dance together, right? She hears the music and responds so when we hear the music do we cry out for it does it affect our tears our hands our worship remember in 2020 um it must have been the inauguration when there was the bernie meme 
You know, he's sitting there, he's cold, he's got his mittens on, right? And he's in, sitting down. And then it was like all over the place. Well, one of the best ones was, you know, it's Bernie sitting there. He's got a hat on, a mask, and he can't, but he's just like, I don't want to be here. And the meme was, this is what it looks like when Pentecostals hear a sermon they don't like. And this is what it looks like when Presbyterians hear a sermon that they like. <laughs> that was really good, Jesus. Thank you for all you did for us. Super amazing. I'm so glad I'm here with you. We talked about tasting and talking about tasting. We've said that many times. So we could talk about loving. It's not love. We can talk about caring. It's not caring. We can talk about faithing. It's not faith. We can talk about witnessing. That's not witnessing. We can talk about serving. Because He cares for us, we move into all that. Because He came to seek and save the lost. Because He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So that's why we consider it done. We can say, it is finished. He said, consider it done. This is why I came, right here. The wages of sin is death. The gift of Christ is eternal life in Christ our Lord. Because it's done, we can do. Because it's done, we can hope, invite, tell, pray, believe, confess, risk. We can care for orphans and widows. We can trust and be patient and keep steadfast and never stop starting. This is one thing I picked up from one of my seminary professors. We get so discouraged whenever we, we, we got this thing, and when we stop, it's like, ah. And he would just say, never stop starting. Okay, we got tomorrow. Okay, last thing, uh, Eliza and Hamilton. Um, at the end, I don't think this is a spoiler. If you haven't heard of Hamilton, I don't know where you're from. Uh, so yeah, at the end, there's this forgiveness part between her and him because he is like betrayed her, whoa, big time. And, uh, you know, Hamilton is frenetic, ambitious, maddening genius. And um, he dies, and this is historical fact. You know, Aaron Burr shoots him in a duel. And the very last song is called Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Our Story. And it's sort of recapping the view of his wife, who, who has not been a side character exactly, but it's certainly not a, a show about her. And after she goes on along, and she says, she says, uh, can I show you the thing I'm most proud of? She said, I established the first private orphanage in New York City. And I helped raise hundreds of children. And I got to see them grow up. And in every one of them, I thought of you. And I see you every time. 
think uh, the thing about that, it's the very end of the whole thing, right? And, and this woman, who's the side figure on this whole deal, all that pain and betrayal. And you know, she was there. She knew all these famous people. She, she was there. She started an orphanage and helped hundreds of kids. That seems very Jamesian. Amen? Amen.